Welcome, everyone, again, right here, Union Smack, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, Podbean, wherever you're listening to us, we appreciate it. Alongside me, as always, it's not Union Smack without the man himself, my co-host for this, going five years strong, Maniac Matt Tennant. What's going on, man? How you been? Welcome to a very spooktacular month here <laughs> for Union Smack. I love October. I love horror movies. We're talking about horror movies off air before we hit record, but that's not why we're here today. Matt why are we here today and where can everyone catch you? Well, you can catch me on Twitter at Bruiser, mate. Catch the podcast on Twitter at Union Smack, where you'll find our link tree in our bio for all the links to everywhere you can find us around the podcasting world. Go to unionsmack.bigcartel.com for all your Hibiki TMD merchandise needs. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Rocky Bio, where you can celebrate five years of the Union Smack podcast by purchasing our new logo shirt and our Union Smack revisited shirt lulu.com where you can purchase copies of my books the undertaker a trip down death valley nxt uk year one and you will soon be seeing our logo if you tune in to new wave pro wrestling's november rain pay-per-view on november the 26th because travis that is our first ever sponsorship deal and couldn't be prouder of that and that's huge news for us and i'm very excited when you sent me the message about it and thank you for hitting us up and asking us if we'd like to be interested yes obviously we're interested and can't wait to see how this relationship blossoms in the coming weeks absolutely absolutely and you know what when you said the a spooktacular edition i suddenly dawned on me that we should have put out on twitter only halloween questions please for this month but it didn't so maybe next year yeah there's always next year christmas is right around the corner though so <laughs> yeah, th- get thinking of your Christmas-related wrestling questions. We talk about well, uh, Santa Claus for thirty questions of Santa Claus. I mean, <laughs> what's WWE's greatest Christmas matches? I could say that being one. God, the Christmas episodes of Raw were are were all you know the bad ones in like the past ten years. They don't focus on them so much now, but those ones were always yeah. I'm not watching that because it's a waste of fucking time. Someone's gonna hit someone <laughs> with the president on the stage. And blah blah blah, meaningless fucking tag matches, no thanks. Yes. Do you remember Lex Luger and Santa Claus at the end of fucking Survivor Series in November? I do, and they they stopped doing that shit. Like they did it the year before with Brett, right? When he yeah. beat Sean. Yeah. Like two Survivor yeah. Series and got Santa's. That was it. <clears throat> I got months and a half, mate. Fucking hell. Anyway, we're here. To we never, wait, wait. Please. We never got a Santa and Hogan. That never happened, did it? That never I happened. Don't think so. I mean, it might have done on like a house show somewhere yeah. in yeah. in like December the twenty first, but never on TV, which is surprising considering Hogan was like the All American. That's shocking, actually. Absolutely, but we're here today, Travis. Question time, episode six. We apologise for the delay for everyone who was expecting this a few weeks ago, but this is this is the. Uh, the episode, the one episode or two in this case, because we are splitting this into two parts, one this week, one next week, because you've been too generous, if anything, with all of your questions. So thank you for that. But this is the one time of the month where you good people take over the podcast. You hijack us. You ask us whatever is sat in the recesses of your mind. And believe me, there is some uh, questionable stuff that comes through the comments. But we answer it all so 
I'm looking forward to this month's Travis because I know what's coming. You don't have a clue. Uh, <laughs> but you said off air you wanted to ask me something before we got started. Indeed. So, for new listeners, Matt and I have been doing this for going on six years, on and off. And we've done one retro pay per view on this company. And on the, the episode, I don't think I ever asked you if you're actually ever a fan of the company. So, my question to you today, and you probably just figured it out, Matt. Because everyone that knows me knows that I loved it as a teen. I was all in on this company. What are your honest opinions of ECW in its heyday? The real ECW. I mean, right. So start off, we didn't really get it over here when I was a teenager. It was on a TV channel called Bravo. And it was on at like 2.30 a.m. in the morning. So, and it was a Friday night as well. So, I, you know school day too tired to stay up for it maybe i'd set the vhs for it i liked what i saw back then uh, obviously i like it more now i loved the rob van dam television title reign and the matches with jerry lynn etc but back then i wasn't such a fan travis um the vhs has started to leak into the shops here i think around 2000 2001 just as ecw were going out of going out of business yeah but they were ridiculously expensive um i did get a couple but it's, it's one of them things where you don't know the promotion really you don't really know a lot of the wrestlers and so you sort of filter out of the the, the vhs 30 40 minutes in um but now i love ecw and i think for me it really clicked in during the the rise and fall of ECW DVD because I bought that because I'd heard great things about it and I watched it and obviously you know the more history you know on something the more you can respect it and I loved that so that was the catalyst for me really to go back and you know give it a proper go to, to force myself to sit through something I'd previously turned off after you know 35 40 minutes so now love ECW back then didn't really get a chance to love ecw because there wasn't enough of it to be exposed to i definitely got more than my money's worth on that question and i'm actually shocked <laughs> that you that you love it more now i actually love it less now because i think a lot of it hasn't aged well plus i think we're way desensitized as far as high spots i still right. i still like it a lot but i think that Certain talent from back then, like the Tajiri and Super Crazy matches, are timeless. You could put those in any promotion, and and they're still fucking badass. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, man. And also Mike Awesome and uh, Masato oh. Tanaka. Oh, oh my God. how them how two men survived as long as they did slash have? Then no idea. Because and I'll tell you guys, the, I'll tell you guys flat out right now, the most underrated wrestler in the history of ECW was a guy named Easy Money. If you guys are not familiar with him, go back and check out his matches, especially with Kid Cash. That guy was tremendous. There you go. So but there was a lot of ECW to like. Like we said, like, yeah. You, you, you can, I'd put anything GCW do today up against an awesome Tanaka match because, yeah, they, they were just more believably hardcore and death-defying. I mean, I mean Jesus Christ. Through a light bulb. I mean, for fuck's sake, ICW is even way better than GCW. ICW, <laughs> the event they true. just put on this weekend, I saw some crazy shit from ICW this weekend. Good Lord. 
so there you go definitely recommended as well for anyone new tuning in i know we have a few uh a few, a question, a few questions, Travis, from a few listeners who haven't been long-time viewers this week. And, you know, definitely, if you're listening, of course you're listening, you're sending questions. What the fuck am I talking about? But, you know, you know, take a recommendation, go back, watch ECW. You can't go wrong with the Rob Van Dam, Jerry Lynn stuff. You can't go wrong with the Easy Money stuff, the Awesome and Tanaka stuff. There's just so much to like now, looking back, so... And just forget about GCW. I'm sure this is libelous, Travis, but you know, just forget about AC, uh, GCW. Sorry, and all the poor, poor imitations of ECW that have come along since. And disclaimer: if you're going to, you know, check out ECW for the first time, guys, I would peek in around spring of '97 as a good starting point because. I know they're getting their feet wet, but 94 and 95 in ECW are rough watches. I'm sorry. They're they're brutal. <laughs> well, it was before they really found their niche, wasn't it, really? Yeah. And, well, Shane Douglas was more more babyface than intimidating heel, but everything after that is fire. Plus, you don't got to sit through Ian and Axelrod and stinking up the joint. <laughs> Oh, glass fist matches or whatever they were called. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's entertainment. Let's that, just let's just smash each other in the face with glass, and uh, that'll pop a that'll pop a buy. I think that's why I always appreciated ECW more than the FMWs and you know the other ones in their heyday is because they yeah. it was a nice hybrid. They they yes there was extreme violence, but it when it mattered and it made sense more. I guess not just for the sake of doing it. Now you know they're. There are some Axel Rotten and New Jack matches. Yes, it's for the sake of doing it, but it's not every fucking match like a, like a GCW or an ICW. Right. Yeah, I, t- I totally, totally agree. And with that, Travis, are you ready to jump into this week's part one of Question Time, episode six? I am as ready as Paul Heyman was to write bad checks back in the day. Let's do this. Excellent. And just a little uh, disclaimer here. If you don't hear your questions this week, then they will definitely be in next week's episode. Like I said, we've had so many, we've had to cut them in half. So do listen next week as well. So we're going to start off with maybe, I don't know, one of the oldest subscribers to the channel, Travis, who has, let me count on him. He has six questions for us this week, spread over all of our episodes in the past month. Batarang on Podbean asks first on our in your house 27 episode could d'lo brown have believably done the bret hart and won the wwf championship had circumstances necessitated someone step up in a hurry um d'lo was over but he wasn't anywhere near brett over um no not in my opinion <laughs> see I, I i fear we we give these wrestlers probably a little too much credit on our on our solo reviews um you know on our retro reviews and this is where this comes from i see where he you know they are coming from obviously we've said that Dilo brown was an immensely talented wrestler one of the greatest european champions of all time etc and maybe position wise on the card sort of around the same as bret hart was in 1992 you know had been singles champion uh, European champion, Brett was in the champion, etc. But 
like you say, I think Bret Hart was far superior. And in 1992, I think fans were willing to believe that someone like Bret Hart could step up and beat a Ric Flair. That's where I, I in no reality do I see anyone believing D'Lo Brown could step up and beat an Austin or a Triple H or, or a Rock, etc. Not even that. It's even when Brett was in '92 was IC champ, he was headlining pay per views at their biggest stadium show ever as IC champ. I was D'Lo going to headline with Jeff Jarrett on Backlash? No, that's <laughs> horrible business. Um, and look, you guys can go back. I love D'Lo. D'Lo was one of my guys back then. But some guys, and this isn't a slight, okay? Some guys are just mid card for life, and that's okay. Everyone has a role they need to play on a card. Not everyone can be the tippy top guy. You need guys like that. I'm sorry. And he doesn't, yep. he never, as, as charismatic as he was, he never really set my world on fire on the mic. What a worker, but just never jumped off a screen to suffice putting him in any kind of top spot. You know, it's business. No, yeah. couldn't agree more. Very well put. So, second question. On our In Your House 27 episode, what do you think changed with Triple H and when do you think it changed from him being the most selfish man on the roster to being all about the others and the future? You want to go first? or? <laughs> I mean, we know historically Triple H was not all about the future when he was on top of the card. We've heard stories of him going to writers or writers coming to him with scripts for Raw him not even bothering reading them and just, you know, being concerned whether he was going over or not. We, you know, the reign of terror was just absolutely dismal. I think, personally, it was it was around about the time he realised that his career was coming to an end and he didn't probably want to be known for the man that hogged the spotlight or one of the most selfish main eventers in, in wrestling history. Although you could probably say that about a lot of main event talent throughout the years. But I, I think around about, you know, when he set up NXT, obviously, that was a big turning point for him. But it, that, again, was... He knew his years in the ring were on the decline. So, honestly, I think if Triple H had another 25, 30 years in him as an in-ring talent, I don't think we'd be seeing half as much willingness to, to get the future on the screen as we do now. Oh, because even by the time he was winding it down, Jesus, he fucking beat rock. He, he, <laughs> my God, he, he still had DX had to be prominently featured the reunion. He still main evented manias with Cena. He put Cena over, but here's my thing with current triple H. I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors that people were kind of just not seeing clearly. Um, I don't think a lot of that uh, aggressive selfishness or just that uh, that control freak in him ever really went away. But we can go back a couple of years. NXT, and it, we used to be an NXT UK show. And it breaks my heart to mm -hmm. say it used to be that it's gone. Maybe we'll be an NXT yeah. Europe show one day. Who knows? What do you think NXT was? What do you think the prime days of the black and gold were? They were super indies. He cherry-picked from the best of the best from all these indies, right? You think that helped yeah. these indies? You think that did gangbusters for them when he took all their top fucking guys? <laughs> it's he's still very capable of being that guy in 03, but I'm smart enough and the human being in me enough realizes that people change. 
people can change. Maybe he regrets how he acted back then. Who knows? But as far yeah. as a businessman, he knows exactly what he's doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I think, would Triple H for you, and I think you might have answered this a few months or years ago on Twitter, is he in your top 10 or even your top 20 of all time? Doesn't even sniff my 20, to be honest. Wow. Uh, where would he sit? Where would he sit in the list of your top 50? In the 40s. And I'm not even trying to be funny or cute, just... He was never that be-all, end-all for me. I and mean, I know in 03, he thought he was the second coming of fucking Ric Flair. Nowhere yeah. near it. It's just, I don't know. It's just never that guy for me. And that's okay, because that's my opinion. I just never saw it. I'd put him above Batista, for fuck's sake. Oh, definitely. Yeah, right. fucking hell. But no, nah, no. Nah. Nowhere, nowhere near a Rushmore for me. <laughs> near a Rushmore. That's a quote. Okay, so on our superstar series, number one, Razor Ramon. Batarang says, guys, you get a round of applause from me. Not many podcasts can go two and a half hours and still be entertaining or funny at the end. I can't wait for Rick Martel and hope these will be a regular feature going forward. Wrestling fans need an education. Now, in your opinion, what was Razor Ramon's greatest match? Travis, I'm going to let you go first because... I don't know, it's probably tempting to say the obvious one, but I'm yeah. interested to see whether you're going to pick that out or whether you're going to go with something else. Well, I said it, my, my favorite his on the episode. First, thank you for that compliment. And you guys have no heart it is to go that long and still not be a zombie by the end and to try to somewhat <laughs> be joking and entertaining. So thank you. That compliment actually means a lot. And, uh, it's Brett versus Razor at Rumble 93. I said on the episode, that's my favorite Razor match. I think that's the best match without a ladder that he told the best story in that I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's obviously the, the standard answer would be Michael's at WrestleMania 10, but technically and for the, you know, psychologically, it has to be Bret Hart at the, uh, at the 93 Raw Rumble. I don't that ever recall. That, even... match with, that match with Rick Martel, uh, on Raw for the belt it was mm. pretty damn good, damn good too. Excuse me, that was a good match. Yes, it, it, it was very good. Do do go back and watch that if uh, if you haven't seen it. I, I can't remember the date off the top of my head. I think it was October the eleventh, nineteen ninety three. But go back to the Razor Ramon Superstar series if you've not listened, and it's in there somewhere. I but, think yeah, I, say- I, I I respected Scott Hall's career even more because Scott Hall doesn't have that huge list right of like matt classics but he still no. had that longevity and success right and people still talk about him today hence a two-hour episode on the man that speaks volumes that really does speak volumes when you have very few classic matches that people can name without really digging in but still be like one of people's fondest memories hats off yeah. absolutely and i'd also throw into that ring diesel at SummerSlam 94. it wasn't a technical classic but he carried a very green kevin nash to a very good intercontinental title mid-card match that's one of the best big man matches i've ever seen there you go you have it for the horse's mouth so number four do you think scott hall would have been wwf champion had he stayed in 1996 it's hard to say i don't know 
I don't know what route you got. You got to understand if he stayed, <laughs> everything changes. There's no NWO. Yeah. So do, do tweeners baby like characters, like cool heels. Do they take a little while to usher in into wrestling? Does that slow down Steve Austin's introduction? Like that's, that's almost an impossible question to answer, but I guess I would have to say yes, just because just like with Owen Hart, I feel like eventually because if anything with Vince, he at least recognized recognized length of service and yeah, re- rewarding certain guys over time. And if he had it in like that with the click and buddy buddies with the boss of Sunwall, you knew eventually he was going to at least get a test thrown. No, so, yeah. absolutely. I, I think Scott, that uh, Razor Ramon, I should say, would have gone down the heel route in mid '96. You couldn't have kept him babyface for much longer. I think that ship had sailed. Yeah. He'd have uh, turned on Shawn Michaels, and I think he would have been the one to dethrone Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series instead of Psycho Sid. And that, I'd have loved to have seen that, Travis. It'd have almost been like their third, you know, the third match in in the big series. You had one at Mania, you had one at SummerSlam, and then you had the, the WWF Championship at Survivor Series. I think that would have been a fitting end as well to their... I mean, Michaels would have probably won it back at the SummerSlam like he did from Sid... Uh, at the Rumble, sorry, like he did from Sid. But I think that would have been a fitting conclusion to their... Or two. It would have been a two-year-long rivalry yeah. at the time. Two and a half. Yeah, so I, I would say yes, but probably only if it had been a heel at that time because even though the fans hated the Shawn Michaels WWF championship reign, nothing was going to slow that down as a baby face. Plus I feel like had they gone the razor route, which God damn it, I wish they would have now too. That pisses me off that we got Sid instead. It would have made way much more sense because storyline wise, Sean and razor. Yeah. They started as rivals, but they had patched things up. Storyline wise have been buddies for two years. Even after like the ladder matches, they always hugged after and all that shit. So it would have made way more sense. Plus, like you said, the completion of the trilogy on top of it. Yeah. And you know what's even funnier? If Razor would have been there in the Attitude Era, I can totally see uh, Vince Russo making him heel and going really dark with him. I feel like they literally would have made him a drug dealer, selling cocaine and killing people. (laughs) I really do. Like Scarface. Well, playing on on the real-life personalities, I mean, that was Vince Russo's speciality. That and abusing women, seemingly, in storylines. Excuse me. So, question five. That was my bottle, by the way. Sorry. Question five. WCW allowed Scott Hall to do anything he wanted, but do you think he would have fallen as far with addictions had he stayed in the WWF? I'm going to say absolutely. Demons are demons. Um, they, They didn't really help him or control him. You know, 94, 95, beginning of 96. There were numerous stories that we've covered in the Superstar series, run-ins with police, alcohol addiction, etc. while he was with the WWF. I mean, possibly they would have spotted it sooner than WCW did and cared more than WCW did. But I don't think they'd have been able to completely stop him from, you know, going down that the dark route that he took. I totally fucking agree, and I can't say it any better myself. The only thing I really have to add to it is, you know, people make the argument, well, if he stayed, all of his buddies, you know, they went down south. Maybe it was bad influences. X-Pac came back. That was the yeah. guy that he, he partied with the hardest. Plus, Sean was always there. So, 
demons are demons. They're going to follow you whether you're in fucking GCW or New Japan. It doesn't matter. They're, they're demons. You know, there's a reason they're called that. Absolutely. Unless I forget, Sean was off of his face for a lot of his career as well, though he did it better than Scott Hall ever did. So I, 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 I hate to say this. Dare I say, as bad as Sean was at the time, especially in 97, 98, I hate to say this. We could have got an early demise for Razor. As hard as Sean was going, yeah. fuck. Yeah, that, that could have been, you know, it could have been completely disastrous for him to stay in the WWF. I, Plus, obviously, you're, throwing in, you're throwing in guys in the fucking BSK who aren't exactly saints <laughs> backstage. I mean, there's there's some rascals still in the WWF. Don't don't worry about that. Dennis Knight, fuck. Dennis Knight and the Road Dog missed two house shows. Uh, I heard in, in an interview once because they took acid. And trapped themselves in the hotel for two days, and they missed their shots. I've so. heard that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that as well. <laughs> Funny you should say that, Travis, because we have a Dennis Knight question coming up shortly. And who who thought we'd ever be able to say that on this I'm podcast? Say that's, a, that's the first time that sentence has ever been uttered anywhere. <laughs> so on the nineteen ninety three King of the Ring archive episode that we put out a few weeks ago. Batarang asks, do you think fans were ready for Hulk Hogan to finally be toppled by a younger star, judging by the reaction to his title win at Mania 9 and his loss at the King of the Ring 93? I think they were ready since Mania 6. The problem is Warrior just was didn't end up being the right guy. I think they were ready in 1990. I mean, that was a dom- people don't realize that that wasn't there. That was a dominant fucking run. And the world changed in the early 90s with like grunge just at people's attitudes angsty teens it, it wasn't the same i think people were way over it i i mean i kind of borderline was when at by wrestlemania nine as a kid not so much six i still loved him at six but by nine i was ready for brett it was enough you know yeah and i, I mean i was never a hulk hogan fan i was more warrior more more randy savage going that way but I mean, I, 91, he was getting fair reactions, but I think by the, the beginning of 92, people were sort of bored of it. You know, that, that main event with Sid at Mania 8 was fucking dreadful, and the fans knew it. Warrior got the biggest pop of that. So I, I, I think, you know, the decline was was evident in the fans' interest, and obviously the steroid trial, I don't think helped him any at all, going against the company and Vince McMahon, and therefore, you know, personal attack on the fans, we know how wrestling fans think. So, I, I think 90, Warrior, you know, that, that sh- probably should have been the end of Hulk Hogan's WWF Championship aspirations. I have heard that Warrior versus Hulk Hogan was in the works for Mania, I'll fuck, I'll fuck my dates up. <clears throat> Mania 7, sorry. Uh, Warrior Hogan would have been in the works, but it ended up being Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter. That's another story for another day. But I, I think Vince just wanted to milk it for everything it was worth. Every I last think, penny. I think a big thing, too, is when they started putting the belt on guys like Savage, and especially Brett at this time, it was bringing it the world title main event matches back to a more world of sport competitive feel as opposed to, you know, he's going to hawk up, he's going to be impervious to pain, big boot and leg drop. So it was exciting to get that feel again where, I mean, let's cut the shit. With Hawk's reign, 
you pretty much could call every one of his matches. You knew when he was winning. You know what I mean? Very rarely were you shocked with Hulk. I think Taker was the biggest shocker at Survivor Series. But when they ushered in the Brett and Randy, you put that workhorse. You can't do that and, and dick and tease people for like a year with that and then just go back to what you knew suddenly with Hogan. I think that's why people resented it too. Because y'all, the belt's back on Hogan. Thank God they haven't had enough foresight to just make him lose in two months to Yokozuna and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I agree. I mean, like I said, I was never a, a big Hulkamaniac anyway. It always just seemed a little there to me. You know, a little saccharine, if you like. But do you know what? He made hundreds of millions of pounds. Vince McMahon made even more. So everyone, everyone was a winner, Travis, apart from Yokozuna, who I think truly suffered at the culmination of that, uh, that King of the Ring match. So, let's move on to Little Fishy on Podbean. On the In Your House 27 episode, they write, what was the best part of the first Rock versus John Cena feud? Oh, shit. Um, Well, it wasn't the Survivor's (laughs) match. Um... No, that was pretty dreadful. Uh, They really put R-Truth in the main event for that. That blows my (laughs) mind. To this day, still, we haven't had the rock in ten years. Who can we get? Our truth, fuck yeah, let's do it. What? I still don't get that. Um, probably, probably the night that he returned when they, you know, the host of WrestleMania twenty-seven, just that yeah. pop. I didn't, I didn't like the feud with Cena. I hated it. I thought the match was dog shit. I, I didn't care. Like it was cool <laughs> to see Rock back. I just, you, you guys got to understand. For those of us that are especially watching it in the thick of this time, I hated John Cena. I hated all of his segments. He's a nice guy, but it was fucking unwatchable. It was cringier than Hulkamania. At its, at its most Hulkamania, the John Cena shit was so lame and generic. And I don't care. Yes, Cena's good. But The Rock eviscerated that man every time that they went off on the mic. And it was... I think it put a spotlight on who the... He'd say this on who the the generation was with more talent and could think on their feet more. You know, obviously The Rock was better than Cena. Um, I don't think it panned out the way they wanted it to. I think they thought the fans were kind of going to be even keel and 50-50. No. Especially you booked it in Miami. It's in Miami. I don't, yeah. I'm just glad that we never have to see it again. And, and it's... As bad as that match of 28 was, I don't know how they did it. Somehow the match the next year was even worse. Even worse. Yeah, it wasn't great. Rock injuries. And for me, though, the first, the best part of the first Rock versus Cena feud was, I think it was probably the Rock's promos week by week. You know, when he brought in the, uh, the little kid into his office in the John Cena merch and then just took him apart bit by bit, even though he was a kid, that was brilliant. The stuff on the, the riverbank, if you remember where he was throwing the merchandise, does his merchandise into the river. Yeah. That was hilarious. When he was out, I don't I don't I don't know where it was in America, but he was outside maybe the Liberty Bell or something, and he put a cap on and pirate and he cut that little uh, song on John Cena to some tune or another. That was marvellous. I think for me, everything other than 
most of the John Cena promos and the actual matches themselves was really good. Um, I think they brought out a DVD as well, did they not? I seem to remember a DVD, half yes. of The Rock's face, half of John Cena's face. So I, I would buy that if I... In fact, what am I saying? I think I've got it upstairs somewhere. I think I have, actually. I'd have to dig it out. But, you know, if, if you've not seen it, I'd buy the DVD just for the Rocks promos because they were they were gold. You can fast forward to John Cena stuff. wasn't that good. What's even sadder is I own that Survivor Series DVD that I just shit all over. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> See, we shit over it's these not, things, but we can put it this. It opens with Zack Ryder's greatest moment. So, I mean, winning the belt for the first time. The U.S. title. Wow, Zack Ryder's greatest moments. Does, 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 like, The Rock versus Cena at WrestleMania both times. And, of course, seeing how, not frail, but seeing how unprepared The Rock was against Eric Rowan in his last match. Does that make you worried, Travis, for a possible return for this rumored bout against Roman Reigns, whether it's for the title or not. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I mean, I, I think he put in a bit more effort than he did with John Cena, considering there's a, you know, a deeper story there and family, etc. But I don't know. I Two years ago, when it was rumored, oh, you know, we're going to see The Rock versus Ray. I was all for it. Having seen how good Roman Reigns has been in the last two years, I, I, I'm not sure. One, I want to see The Rock desecrate his own memory and legacy. And two, I don't want to see him beat Roman Reigns. I don't think it'll quite be Ric Flair's last match. But um, <laughs> I, I, The Rock just passes out after a smear in the middle of the ring. Yeah, I blame, I blame Vincent Mann and Bruce Pritchard and John Laurinaitis for why I feel like this. I don't want to see the match at all because they that company has got me burnt, burnt out on nostalgia as an understatement. I don't want to yeah. see nostalgia anymore. They've overdone it for me. And that leads us into our second question from Little Fishy on Podbean. If not Roman Reigns, then who should be The Rock's last opponent? Now, before we answer this, I, I do agree that The Rock has to have one more final match. It can't be Eric Rowan in a 10-second squash. Well, that's easy. Triple H. Triple H. But Triple H can't wrestle anymore because of his heart. He can do one match. Do you think? It's like he's going <laughs> to go out there and jump off ladders and shit. I mean... <laughs> okay, okay, I'll take Triple H out of the equation. I can't say Kurt Angle. Steve Austin just did that. A guy from the past or anyone? Anyone. It says, if not Roman Reigns, then who should be The Rock's last opponent? Will never happen, but only, and not because he's a hometown boy, so fuck everyone for thinking I'm biased, but he is the guy that is, every time I see this man open his mouth, it's the closest thing I've seen to Dwayne Johnson in this company for years, L.A. Knight. Imagine those promos. <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. And I think, obviously, LA Knight would be one of the only men that could hold hold it on the, the mic with The Rock as well. But what, what are the chances that Triple H is going to give that to LA Knight? Especially Here's if The Rock wants it in the next year. 
Here's a bold prediction. You could timestamp it, guys, right here. A year from now, we'll see how well this age. A year from now, LA Knight will be one of the most over guys in that company as a baby face. And I love that they turned him heel again because it's not going to come off forced. It's going to organically get over like MJF, and they're going to be WWE's version of MJF. He's going to be a made fucking man, and I guarantee you within two to three years, he'll hold a world title. I'm calling it with that guy. And I'm not wrong about these usually, Matt. That's a prediction. No, it's a spoiler, not a prediction. There you go. There you go. Um, <clears throat> I've always thought it probably should have been Brock Lesnar. Um, yeah, Brock owes the rock one for SummerSlam 2002. I'll always maintain that. But do I want to see a 50-plus-year-old rock against a Brock Lesnar who would probably take him apart? Yeah, I'm not sure. But in an ideal world, if The Rock was fit and healthy and could do a 20-minute a match without blowing up or getting hurt and take the kind of punishment that a Brock Lesnar would give him, then I'd say Brock Lesnar. J just for the receipt from Summer SummerSlam 2002. I also feel like Sheamus and The Rock would have kind of a big horse battle match, right? Yeah. But could The Rock take the type of punishment that Sheamus took from Gunther? And that Gunther took from Sheamus. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, either way, I, The Rock, I think we will see him in the next year or two at WrestleMania. Well, I've had to take the punishment of this week of listening to his daughter cut a promo, so. <laughs> oh, let's not get on to what we said off of there. So, question <laughs> number three from Little Fishy What was The Rock's greatest feud in WWE? Come on. Come on. Are we going to have different answers? <laughs> I mean, I'm obviously going to say the Austin stuff yeah. through the three WrestleManias. I think that was his greatest feud. Obviously not just through the three WrestleManias. The Intercontinental title stuff was amusing, and then they grew into the main event. And obviously, you know, just the skits and the vignettes, and then the, the Mania at 15, not so much. That wasn't great. But, you know, Mania 17, Mania 19, even the Backlash stuff was decent. So I'm obviously it's got to be Steve Austin. Actually, you know yeah. what? That kind of came off rude. So I'm sorry, Little Fishy, for being like, come on. Because if I think about it, the Mick Foley feud is just as good. So tie. 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 And a worthy mention has to go to the Triple H feud as well, because that lasted just as long as the Austin feud did. Yeah. So thank you very much. Do send your questions in next time, little fishy. We're going to Twitter now, Travis, to Scaro Delegation, a fellow Doctor Who fan, if judging by their profile picture. Would Scott Hall have been able to save the AWA and bring new eyes to it as AWA champion had he chosen to stay? Um, no, because I don't care who you brought in there. Um, Vern wasn't willing to adapt with the times and was still hell-bent on this slow, boring, sports-esque, centric, fucking garbage wrestling show that was... I mean, the only reason to really tune in at that time was like to catch the Midnight Rockers because they were just so innovative, but no. I, I think it was the best that anyone got the fuck out of there at that time that could, to be honest. Couldn't agree more. Like, yeah, we, we said it in the Superstar series. Scott Hall believed the AWA was a sinking ship, which is why he jumped. And he wasn't wrong. It was going downhill quality-wise. 
it was going downhill viewership wise and you know you just said Vern Garnier, uh yeah Vern Garnier wasn't willing to uh adapt and and move with the times so no I don't think Scott Hall would have been able to save it either I mean people would have been interested to see this youngster lift the title you know from a Nick Botwinkle and maybe for a few weeks viewership would have been up ju just out of curiosity but long term absolutely not and plus I don't think Scott Hall was talented enough in his AWA days to no. really be put in that position anyway wasn't seasoned enough i guess you could say no and, no. and it, was, it was almost at the beginning of his career as well so he, he was he was just learning here's here's a kind of a point in case what we're talking about guys a lot of people underestimate this in, in, in north america at the time the second most recognizable pro wrestler was sergeant slaughter because of the gi joe tie-in kids fucking i love gi joe right he yeah. was in the awa at this time and i don't think they they might have done ten more extra thousand dollars at Gates, but that that boosted nothing. I mean, they were on ESPN and it did nothing. It just it's all in how it flowed and it's what people wanted at the time. They didn't want that style of wrestling at the time. They wanted the Gaga and the Liberacci's and the Rock and Wrestling because that's that's just where we were. It would have been the same effect if Vince would have never changed with the times in '98 and kept bringing out primetime wrestling and Jameson and Beverly Brothers. He would have got destroyed, and there would be no WWE. You got to change with the times. I hate it now because that means cosplay, flippy bullshit wrestling. But if I'm running the company and that's what people want to see, I got to bite <coughs> the bullet. Do I not? You know? Absolutely. You have to change with the times, or you get left behind. Yep. So. Second question. Do you think the click would have gotten less hate from fans had they just done the group on TV as an actual faction? No, because people would have heard the backstage stories leak of what actually happened in real life. So I think they still would have resented the click and the screw job still would have happened. So but it didn't matter. No. It, it, uh, do you think, okay, so knowing the fans know the stories, they know what a bastard Shawn Michaels was, they knew how. Obviously, clicky, <laughs> no pun intended. You know, Michaels, Nash, Hull, uh, X Pac, etc. All were. Yeah. Do you think if they'd have transferred the click onto TV, it would have not outshone, but do you think it would have killed the DX? Would, would it have been bigger than DX, the click? It depends. That, again, that's tough because who knows? I, I love DX, but the main reason that DX blew up and became mainstream is because of the suckets. Because it was cool to do at school. You take the sucket out of DX, you take their yeah. theme song, what are you really left with with DX at the end of the day? I mean, you got really talented guys, but it was all about catchphrases in that era. Now, if the click would have started doing the suckets, which I think they would have, because, you know, Hall and Nash did it in WCW. They even did it when they were just diesel. They would tell people to suck it. Yeah, I think yeah. it definitely would have been. It would have definitely been a success for sure um i think another another thing i wanted to point out is that as far as it being just doing it in certain times and i totally forgot what i was going to say i'm sorry maybe it'll come back <laughs> i just I just guys i'm getting married in two weeks so i got a lot of my mind. i just totally drew a blank and i had something fucking good to say too that's frustrating so maybe it's, right, it's not like it's not like we're on air or anything it's fine right right <laughs> maybe maybe I should knock over bottles and make all this noise. Is that more appropriate? 
my god. Look at the digs. <laughs> Look, I'll get him a shovel for next week. Fucking hell. <sighs> so, are we saying yes, the click would have been bigger than DX had they been transferred to an actual TV faction? Pissy <laughs> and lazy. The new powering. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, fuck, man. Thank I'll you say- for those. Go on. I'll say yes. Say yes. I'm going to say yes as well because I think it would have been more of the same stuff. But with National Hall involved. So, we're going to move on to Wrestle King on Podbean. On our In Your House 27 episode, they wrote, I'm a new listener, but really love the knowledge, chemistry, and the show. As a newbie to the Attitude Era, what was with the strong gay vibes? Was there a market for stuff like Goldust and the Meanie, or did Russo have something he wanted to tell everyone? Fuck, what a question. The strong gay <laughs> vibes. Um, I mean, we, we was, can't what, deny there were, was the, there were strong overtones, Travis. You know, the, the gold stuff at the beginning was really, really strong. So strong that Scott Hall wasn't, you know, he wasn't really having anything to do with it. And then the Armour Johnson stuff. And obviously the whole gold dust gimmick was bordering on uh, homosexual. I'm I'm confused on the question. Is the question just what was the deal with all? Basically, what's the deal with with all the sudden gay characters at this time? Is that pretty much the question? I think they, it reads like that, but then it does go on to say, was there a market for things like Goldust and the Blue Meanie, or yeah. did Vince Russo have something he wanted to tell everyone? No, I don't think it's that. I I think there's definitely a market for at that time. And I hate to say this, there was a market for the wrong reasons because that gimmick got nuclear fucking heat from like insecure, tough guys, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So in that aspect, I think it was really smart to do that. And and you go back 20 years before that with the amazing Adrian Street got that same kind of heat. Society was just too still very closed-minded. Now, totally different fucking now they're the biggest baby faces around and that's awesome you know i'm glad we've actually grown our mindsets and not you know stayed so close-minded and chant the the things people used to chant at sean michaels who wasn't even a gay character is really embarrassing to go back and watch and i'm not even going to attempt to say that word on the show but i i yeah i mean what's the deal i think the deal was heat they wanted nuclear heat and i think they got it yeah i i I can't really add any more to that you know it it worked uh vince russo i think you know some of the angles as we we well know we live through it were absolutely dire travis and just you know not what's the word i'm looking for tasteful they weren't tasteful at all but they got a reaction they got the heat they were looking for gold dust slash dustin Rhodes was propelled into the stratosphere really almost a career maker all right, he had the WCW stuff behind him, you know, had some good matches for the US and TV titles, etc. But when you put that makeup on, I think Korea into the stratosphere, even if it was for the wrong reasons. And as much as I love Scott Hall, it's one of the things that I think he was completely in the wrong about. He should have been more open-minded to that. I think he was he was being very petty and immature. The problems with that storyline. It's not like Goldust was going out there grabbing his cock and all this, like you're literally having sex with him. <laughs> oh my God, the X-rated version of Monday Night Raw. 
<laughs> just walking around with Scott's cock in his arm. Brilliant. Monday Night Raw Dog. No lube. <laughs> oh, thank you for that question. Susie Women's Wrestling on Podbean. On our Question Time Episode 5 episode... I've said episode twice. It's late. Ignore me. Asks, did Greg Valentine peak in the WWF in the infamous Intercontinental Championship match with Tito Santana? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have anything more to add to that, Travis? I mean, I mean it's Greg look, Valentine. I think you're going to agree with me on this. I think we've said this before. I think he peaked in the dog collar match before he even got to WWF. So... I, and I, I think we said something about that last month on, on Question Time, Episode 5. Um, that WWF Greg Valentine was very different to NWA Greg Valentine. Very different to Greg Valentine everywhere else he wrestled. Obviously, I, I think the, the Intercontinental title match with Tito was one of the highlights of his WWF career. There wasn't all that much else to, to pick yeah. out. Certainly not Rhythm and Blues. Certainly not the Ronnie Garvin stuff. But... I, I think NWA Greg Valentine no, is a different thing. Easy. Because that is a guilty pleasure of mine, the Ronnie Garvin storyline. Stop it. Stop it. it. What's some, of the some of the matches are dog shit boring, Travis. I didn't say matches. I said storyline. <laughs> I mean, I know the problem is the bell rang, but I like <laughs> I like that. The whole he's a ref just because he's trying to fuck with Valentine. Like he had to retire, but he'd still find ways to fuck with him. I liked it. I liked the little I like, the breaking news I special like, sports they would do too. And Ronnie fucking Garvin. I liked his. I liked when he announced Greg Valentine coming to the ring and he put all the extra stuff into it. I loved how bored with it all Ronnie Garvin looked as a referee as well. That that always tickles me when I go back and. And watch bits like that, but I think storyline-wise, I I'm sure they had great intentions. You know, I'm sure they thought they would put on 20-minute technical classics, but it just never clicked. At least, from in my opinion, I I totally forgot about him burying him, ring announcing him to the ring. That's I got to go back and watch that now. That was good stuff. That is one of my favorite things of that entire feud. The rest of it, get it off the telly. But that was fantastic. Thank you, Susie, for your question on our favorite grandmother, Greg Valentine. And <laughs> Nana Val Greg Nana, always have a special place on this podcast. On the King of the Ring 1993 episode, she asks, oh dear, I don't know why I've got the giggles now. Why didn't the WWF believe in Randy Savage in 1993? He was on commentary at the King of the Ring instead of in the tournament when it had been a better replacement for Duggan or Tatonka or Mr. Hughes. He was also left off of the WrestleMania and SummerSlam cards. That would obviously be SummerSlam 93 and WrestleMania 9. Youth movement, new generation movement. Do you think it was an oversight, though, by Vince McMahon? Um, and this is me Absolutely. taking Susan's question a little bit further, but... You know, even in 94 against Repo Man against Crush, Randy Savage was still as good and as quick and agile as he was in 88, 89. I, yeah, I, I, I understand we want to go with a youth movement, but fuck me, you've got still one of the best wrestlers, arguably, definitely in America, but arguably in the world still in 1993. 
oh, on, yeah. your, on your books and you're putting him on the commentary table. <laughs> you're making him dress up like a fucking moron. You know, just to sate Vince McMahon's pleasure. When we, we, I think we said it last time, Travis, Razor Ramon versus Randy Savage at WrestleMania 9 would have been a marquee match instead of Ramon versus Bob Backlund. I can easily see Randy Savage going through to the finals of the 1993 King of the Ring tournament against Bret Hart, even though the Bam Bam Big Low match was very good. Bret Hart versus Randy Savage would have been off the cards. Randy Savage somewhere at 19, SummerSlam 1993 would have been arguably better than a lot of the stuff we got on that card as well. Oh, you mean you'd, you'd rather watch Randy Savage than Ludwig Borga versus Marty Jannetty? <laughs> How, yeah, I forgot about that. I'll take back everything I just said. Can you I'm imagine, not, actually, I, well, actually I, can you, you imagine a heel Randy Savage versus Bret Hart? Imagine if Randy Savage had attacked Bret Hart at the end of the King of the Ring, and then Savage versus Bret Hart as one of the marquee matches at SummerSlam. Everyone would have ate that up. Yeah, to this day, it's one of the most boneheaded, baffling decisions Vince ever made, in my opinion, is just, like, pull Randy out of the ring. I mean, I totally agree with everything you said. He was he could still go, um, and I think that would have worked, too. Where And you could even twist the storyline like Randy was resentful of this... This, these new generation guys can't lace my boots. That was a terrible Randy Savage, but you know what I mean. It, it would have worked. Um, I can't, we wouldn't have had to sit through the kiss my foot match and shit like that, for one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, and, and I've always been in the camp of I always, and I love Randy Savage to death. He, you talked about my top guy. He's a top three performer for me, right? Awful on commentary. I hate Randy Savage on commentary. It's so annoying. But anyway, um, yeah. I think I think commentator Randy Savage, you, you could hear how fed up he was in his voice and his delivery of the lines. He didn't want to be there anymore. Hence why he jumped to WCW, because Vince wasn't going to push him anymore. Exactly. Oh, dear. So... <laughs> Question three from Susie, and her last question. Would Bam Bam Bigelow have worked as Bret Hart's first challenger after he won the WWF Championship at WrestleMania 10? Um, for me, I'm going to say no with this one, because by WrestleMania 10, they'd already made Bam Bam Bigelow a comedy character. You know, the whole Doink the Clown stuff, Survivor Series 93 stuff. As funny as it is to watch and nostalgic, in reality, it is dreadful. I think uh, so. Yeah, right. I, 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 yeah. Go on. No, finish. Oh, I was, by, by 1994, Bigelow still had the talent, but the fans, I don't think, were ever going to treat him as a, a threat to Bret Hart or the WWF Championship. I think the booking of Bret Hart from Royal Rumble 94, the finish of that, up until not Survivor Series 94, but right after SummerSlam 94 was absolutely chef's kiss, kiss perfect, and I wouldn't change a thing about it. You had the feud with Owen. Yeah. You can't have Owen beat him in the opening of Mania and not, you know, eventually end games being to Owen. Diesel had the, all the momentum in the world since the Rumble performance. He was the IC champ. They hadn't done a champ versus champ match in like four years. And like you said, I mean, we were wrestling mixed tag matches with Doink and Dank at Mania. But bam, bam! At this point, um, 
that that ship had sailed. And I'm actually surprised they put Bam Bam in that spot with LT of all the guys they had. Um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of shocked they wouldn't have used like a Sid or somebody like that for LT. But I, it is what it is. But I wouldn't have changed shit with Brett. I think that that run, the booking of Brett and that little time, besides three years later with the Hart Foundation, are the most, two most perfectly booked Brett Hart sequences in his entire career. Don't change any of it. Absolutely. I'm sure Brett versus Bam Bam in a steel cage would have been you know, great as well. But the Owen Hart stuff just hits different now. And it did back then as well. So I agree. Wouldn't change it. But Bam Bam in 93 would have been a worthy challenger for Bret Hart had he remained WWF champion after WrestleMania 9. Yeah. Yeah. A year before, totally. Totally. Just one year too late. And that's quite a shame when you think about it because Bigelow deserved much better. than And God, I you know I love Doink the Clown, but he deserved much better than Dink and Luna Vachon and a comedy match at WrestleMania. Or, or four fucking Doinks at Survivor Series that year. <laughs> and Bastion Boogard. Oh, no. I'm sure we'll go there. Actually, we, we, we've got a question about that. Um, so I don't want to spoil the answer. <clears throat> Not about that. But about, about <laughs> oh, I can tell you're excited. So, Javier on Podbean, on our Survivor Series 1996 episode, has four questions. Now, you're, again, Javier, you have to accept my apologies if I've not got these totally right. If no one's listened before, Javier writes purely in Mexican, and I have to put everything he says into Google Translate. And I, you know, it's the best I can do, I'm afraid. So, question one. What was the appeal of Furnace and Lafon for WWF? They never took them seriously. Um, they, They were a favor hire. I believe from either Jim Ross or Jim Cornette. You you got to take a look at these guys. You got and yeah, I mean yeah, they could work, but man, <laughs> bland yeah. as a pair of socks. <laughs> I think it was Jim Cornette. Uh, Furnace had been wrestling in Smoky Mountain prior to uh, Survivor Series '96, and obviously him and was it Dan Crawford? Lafon was going under in yep. Japan. That, that yeah, they they'd been a team. You know, here and there, and uh, J- Jim Cornette got them a look, but I mean, solid enough tag team on paper, but unfortunately, they were spent by by nineteen ninety six. Even more miraculously, Travis, they go another year in the WWF before completely falling off the face of the earth. You bring those guys in in ninety two, even ninety one, it would have worked. I feel yeah. like. Imagine, imagine them versus the Steiners. Yeah, just out of this world stuff. But no, unfortunately, never took them seriously because in '96 they weren't good enough. Which is a shame because they could have done the tag division just wonders had they been there four years earlier. Question two: What was the greatest? <laughs> now this, this is an open-ended question, Travis. What was the greatest Survivor Series match? Now, I, I don't know whether Javier means greatest elimination match or just overall greatest match in Survivor Series history. The, elim- the greatest elimination match in history? Um, 
Jesus Christ, give me a second. You go, Matt. If you got you've had more time to think now. Give me a second. Um well of course you've got you've got the classics like the the one Survivor Series match at ninety two with the nasty boys. Um that was a joke, by the way. I, I that was dreadful. <sighs> See this is a difficult one. This is really, really so, hard because You know what? You know, I got not you know what it wasn't it didn't sniff a main event people can mock me for the people in it the energy and it set the tone the very first one was with team savage and team honky not to mention i've seen that match a billion times the crowd is behind every goddamn move in that match the eliminations made sense everybody played their part perfectly yeah and the, actually the finish did make sense it was honky tonk man the intercontinental champ left to, to fight uh, Jake Roberts, Macho Man, and Ricky Steamboat. He just walked, which makes sense. If you're the champ, why the fuck would you risk staying around to fight three guys? Just walk. Take the L. Yeah. It's. I just think because maybe that set the table for me, and it's it's still the first pay-per-view I really ever saw as a kid, and that match. Mm -hmm. just, I had so many questions coming out of that match, seeing all these characters, and the more I think that match has affected me in my life, it's got to be that match for me. So, and, and not to shortchange anyone, let's see if I can do this off the top of my head. So the teams were Honky, Danny Davis, Ron Bass, Harley Race, fucking A. One more guy. One more fucking guy. Hercules against Savage, Beefcake, Duggan, uh, Roberts, and Steamboat. So. Very well remembered, that man. Um, good pick. I'm going to go, I mean, off the top of my head, probably the 20-man tag team elimination match with all the teams because it just it showed how stacked you know the tag team roster was at the time i think it was 90 no 88 87 and 88 back to back 87 and 88. well i'm going to go for the 88 one i think was that the british bulldogs last one yeah i, I think yeah i'm going to go 88 it, it, it's right after the Jacques and and, and uh, Dynamite incident, and they actually have to work yeah. in that match. It's so awkward to watch. It's fantastic. Absolutely, and the the Rougeos are eliminated early because they they want to uh, get out the building, you know, b before the Bulldogs. But you know, the depth of talent in that match and and the years before match is just absolutely outstanding. It's a shame. Have, <laughs> it's a shame they, that we don't have that sort of talent now. They're awesome to watch on TV and really fun, but they had to be miserable to watch live until a lot of guys started getting eliminated. Like, you, there's no way you could see shit live, I feel like. <laughs> no, it's, just, like it's, just a it's just a fence of steroids yeah. that surrounded the ring. That's it. Just this, <sighs> big old, this big old gross meat fence surrounding the fort. Ugh. <laughs> Sweaty. Probably smell a little bit. <laughs> the finish <laughs> The finish to 88-2 is one of my most fondest childhood wrestling memories. You know, the turn of demolition to babyface. Yeah. It's just, it's just a really good exhibition of talent. I, I don't Obviously, like, in the years that, that followed, you'd get eight, ten-man elimination matches, etc., with, with undercard wrestlers. Survivor Series 93, for example, and that pops up because that's the next question on the card. The opening match... It was full of mid-card wrestlers, Travis, but it was it was fun and solid. You know, the one, two, three kid, yep. Adam Bond, Martel, Razor. That was a really solid 
Survivor Series elimination match that, that really exhibited, you know, what the WWF had to play with. But for me, that tag team match, it was just a perfect, you know, that this is tag team wrestling. And, it, you know, it, it wasn't, oh, one member's gone, the rest, the other, get, no, one's gone, the team's gone, get them out of there. You know what's fucking amazing? The Young Stallions were in both. <laughs> wow. Wow, you're a warped man for remembering that. <laughs> so I think the questions the door were also in both too, right? I think they were. I, I do remember oh. the conquistadors doors in eighty eight. Yeah. Great. Jesus Christ. So question three. Please, please, will you do Survivor Series nineteen ninety three? It's my favourite. I mean we're getting through them, Travis. You know, it it's bound to happen at some point, I think. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's on the agenda. You have no fear, guys. I and, mean, you know, we got a lot of stuff up our sleeves. That's one of my most fondest Survivor Series, too. So I'm sure we will. And I'm actually shocked we haven't already reviewed that. <laughs> well, me too. And when we do, Bastion Bugger is going on the thumbnail. We're never going to get another chance to do that. Fine by me. There you go. So question four and Javier's last question. Would AEW have more appeal if it had more themed pay-per-views like Survivor Series rather than I don't know. So this is where Google Translate is shit. Rather than themeless events that go on for days, I'm going to go with themeless. I know what he's trying to say. No, I don't think that has anything to do with it. AEW would have more success if their booking was more fucking consistent if they wouldn't take red hot signings, keep them cool, keep them red hot for a month, and then where the fuck have they gone? <laughs> they need a, I'm tired of saying it, they need a fucking real booker and a story. That's how they find their real success. It's not about theme gimmick matches, or they have plenty of that. Jesus fucking Christ. Well, there you go. And uh, you'll be delighted to know, Travis, that we have more AEW questions coming up next week in part two but I, I thought i'd throw that in there for all the aw fans listening um not for the one specific who seems to troll us every episode but you know for the more genial aw fan that doesn't throw abuse at us every week so thank you javier um karen l on podbean on question time episode five says and asks i loved your fifth episode of question time the vince russo stuff had me rolling with laughter so after i'd listened i went to peacock to search out eric watts oh Kara, what have you done and found that he was all over wcw pay-per-view events and tv shows in 1992 beating names like bobby eaton michael hayes even steve austin and Alan anderson <laughs> i don't know why that makes me laugh travis it just does oh, as funny as as fun as he is to laugh at, <clears throat> was there actually something about him? Or was the push purely because of who his father was? Purely because of who his father was. There you was really nothing didn't see anything, did you? You really saw nothing in Eric Watts whatsoever. I saw, I okay, yeah, I saw something in him. I saw a fucking enhancement guy or a middle of the card, you know, like a Tim Horner or a Tom Zink. I didn't see a guy who on his resume says, I beat Arn Anderson and Steve Austin. I never saw that. Where's that guy at? Oh, I can't argue. 
for a man a man that's racked up four victories over four you know big names and great talent like that then he, he should have been much further up the card and much more capable than he was and we're still going through this shit right now on on current WWE television i don't even have to say his name you guys know exactly who i'm talking about we still go through this nepotistic bullshit of people that have no business or there's potential but they're rushed way too soon there you go and i have heard also travis talking nepotism triple h's son is in training now to become a professional wrestler okay <laughs> no reaction whatsoever so <laughs> on our king of the ring 1993 episode karen says and asks you guys have come so far in five years. You can tell how much more confident you are saying what's on your mind. So, who, in your opinion, sorry, who is the most successful King of the Ring winner? Steve Austin. Hands down. Yeah. For, yeah, for, for, it's got to be, isn't it? You know, from, from there to Austin 316, WWF Championships, the next... I was going to say the next Hulk Hogan, but obviously the next guy in the, the Hulk Hogan spot to really take off and make it work. I, I don't the think they could equal. The most popular wrestler in the history of the company. Are you, not, are you not tempted to say Hulk Hogan's joint as well? I never saw Hogan get a pop like Austin got in 98. And I've seen Hogan get some pops. Nothing like that. Because it's more, and we've heard this before, it's easier to relate to an everyday man than Superman. Steve Olsen yeah. clicked with everybody. Kids thought he was cool. Adults wanted to be him. When women wanted to sleep with him. Hogan was a superhero. A lot of people cringe at super, superhero shit. I mean, you yourself, even as a child, said you weren't a huge fan of Hogan. Everyone loved Steve Austin. Everyone loved that man in his prime. Yeah. No, I, I can't argue with that. The, the reactions he got, you know, and he was one of the organic ones as well. He wasn't forced down your throat. He he just come up with the, uh, you know, he come up with the gimmick himself basically, and was just it. It took him to the moon. So Steve Austin, yeah, I mean, obviously you could go back and say, you know, Bret Hart comes in close second because of where it took him, you know. The Owen Hart feud, but there's no one that won that competition like Steve Austin. It brought Lesnar in 2002. Again, it helped propel him to stardom, but Austin is a different level to everyone else. It certainly wasn't Nelson Frazier. Who goes by <laughs> me. God. Oh, my God. Oh, there was nothing they could have done with that. Even with a year to prepare, there was nothing they could have done with that. Uh, so Travis our last question for this week on question time oh, wow thank you flew by. I love this new format style so much more this flew by this week <laughs> me too because some of the questions we've got coming up they, they, yeah, they, they're going to test us and our knowledge and our, the, the ranking system we hold for professional wrestling next week so uh We'll leave you with this one. Last question of the week and the last question from Karen. 
Was the decision to have Jerry Lawler pop up and end the coronation of Bret Hart the right one going forward, or did it tarnish Hart's victory? I don't think it tarnished Hart's victory. Um, I don't. I don't think it hurt Bret. I think it hurt their television because we, like we said earlier, we could have got better feuds. Um, yeah. Look, and I love Matt Bourne, and Lawler was great for what he was. Um, but that that little whatever the fuck that was at SummerSlam '93 felt like it all went on for a year. That match with Doink felt like it was four hours long. The match with Lawler felt even longer. I, I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like we could have got better television. There was better things to do with that, and that was that was the theme with Brett. Besides Owen. For most of that run, there's better things that we could be fucking doing with Brett. Isaac Yankum, we wouldn't have got Isaac Yankum because that stemmed from the Jerry Lawler storyline. So, yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> and that storyline, Travis, lasted, what, two years? Two fucking years. Yes. Over two years. Through SummerSlam 95, and this was King of the Ring 93, let's not forget. So, yeah. on and off, you know, it went through two years. It went through a WWF championship reign. Yeah, it was, you know, the beginning was fine. The attack was fine. Had it ended at SummerSlam 93, it would have been a nice little distraction, you know, to move Bret Hart onto the, the Owen Hart feud going into SummerSlam and, and the Rumble exit. But it didn't. It went on and it went on. And it, it, it went well past its sell by date. Not to mention we were getting was abysmal too and that that ate up what fucking five months for brett because that blew off at fucking mania 11. yeah he had the match at diesel with diesel at the rumble but there was so much interference in that match from all those guys like it all roads led to backlands so we had to suffer through that bullshit because as great as those two guys were they there's something about those matches they were just oil and water man just never worked back when brett no the survivor series 94 match was disgustingly bad and the WrestleMania 11 match was just, it didn't need to happen. Worse. Even worse than Survivor match. <laughs> and then you got, not to mention every 30 seconds, you got, what do you say, Brett? What do you say? Oh my God, Roddy Piper. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I will say the, <laughs> the best part of the Jerry Lawler, Bret Hart stuff was, you know, not that it went on two years, but the Jerry Hart ribs and the comments uh, you know, on Stu and Helen, they were mostly amusing that they did get old towards the end. But apart from that, so I, watched, started, I just well, watched the uh, the table for three that came out with it was Brett Waller. Somebody else was on there, but Brett wasn't cool with those shots, by the way. They talked about it. Him and Waller were talking about it like he a lot of that really pissed off Brett at the time. Those comments about Stu and Helen. See, I imagine that was now a very awkward table for three. Yeah, Lawler just sat there. Just, I, I'd be so uncomfortable with that if I was Jerry Lawler because I was just doing my job. And obviously, Brett could have gone to Vince at the time and said, "Write something else or find another way to do it." But yeah, Brett, you know, Brett didn't say too. Oh, it was Kane. The other person was Kane on the episode. So basically, the episode is just Kane and Lawler talking for the most part. Brett just kind of sits there. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, you, you sold that to everyone, Travis. Bloody hell. I'm not, I'm not going to watch that because I, I, I feel like I, I wouldn't be listening to Lawler or Kane. I'd just be concentrating on how annoyed 
Bret Hart looked. I will say they do go in full depth on the Christmas creature and Isaac Yankum gimmicks. So if you ever needed to know your history of like that shit, there you go. I'm not kidding. <laughs> oh my god. Well, do you know what? When when on that board, then I, I might switch it on. But until then, I just ha- that night. I just happened to be that board. It was like right before I went to bed or something. And there was no Beverly Brothers matches that uh, that you could put on or or anything of that ilk. Didn't feel like it. Too tired. <laughs> this was like this was like on the main page as soon as I turned Peacock on. I was just that tired and like, all right, fuck it, Taylor three start. I had no clue what was even going on. He, like he was going to be. I just saw like a picture of Lawler. I'm like, all right, maybe some cool old stories. Oh, there's right wing Kane. Fuck. <laughs> right wing Kane. Well, that's a character that we're going to get probably next year. So, Travis, we are done this week, my friend. Thank you to everybody who sent in questions. You know, I think we've we've hit on a much better format as well, Travis. You know, we've gone just over an hour. So, and next week, you've got 23 more questions coming your way. For anyone that's dropped questions on the Ultimate Warrior episode I did last week, going forward, then they will be featured next month in episode seven. But again, can't thank you enough for the support and the love. 12,000 downloads, Travis, we've surpassed today as we record, and it keeps on climbing healthily and steadily by the week. So God bless you all for that. Repeat fucking Raven. Blows my mind. That's a good podcast. we We ranked higher than Raven's podcast. I'm happy. I can die a happy man, I think. Indeed. One more time, Matt, before we get out of here. Where's all the links? <clears throat> so you can catch me at Twitter. At Twitter. You say I'm I'm done already. You can catch me on Twitter at Bruiser Mate. Catch the show on Twitter at Union Smack, where you'll find our link tree in our bio for all the links to everywhere you can find us around the podcasting world. UnionSmack.bigcartel.com for all your Hibiki TMD merchandise needs. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Rocky Buyer, where you can celebrate five years of the Union Smack podcast by purchasing our new, our new logo shirt and our Union Smack revisited shirt, all designed by Rocky himself. He is a modern day marvel. Lulu.com, where you can purchase copies of my books, The Undertaker, A Trip Down Death Valley, NXT UK Year One, and of course, catch New Wave Pro Wrestling November Rain on November the 26th, sponsored by the Union Smack podcast it feels good to say that travis and i have to say before you sign off for those wanting the superstar series it will return in a few weeks time after travis's impending wedding um you'll just have me for that week or two during that i am going to debut the union smack shorts i've had sat on this computer for about a year now but i'll probably i might do a, a retro review here or there as well but one more week with Travis next week, part two of question time, and then Travis will depart to get married. And we wish you all the best on that, my friend. Oh, man, I really appreciate it. It's flying by. And uh, yeah, as always on Twitter at Huss Hogan, Hibiki TMD on YouTube. Thank you guys so much. Like Matt said, 12,000 downloads and counting and growing on be believable means the world and it's exactly why we do this to get and episodes like this too is exactly why we do this feedback interaction 
Thank you guys again for all the support. Until next week, Question Time, Part 2, Union Smack Podcast. Cheerio, guys.